Hello, world, and welcome back to another episode of the Let's Talk Audio Podcast. Woohoo! So, on today's episode, we have Jilly Moon. She is an audio engineer and sound designer based out of Los Angeles, California. She has a day job working at NPR, doing their podcasting and different stuff like that there. But in the past, she's worked in immersive shows for musicals, VR, video games, film, all the things. And so, without further ado, we're going to get right on into this episode. Let's talk audio. What about being an audio makes people feel like they shouldn't be approachable? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Especially since we're in like, like, it doesn't matter whether you're in a creative role or like an audio engineer, you are in a role of service. So it's kind of like you'd think you would be in the constant practice of being approachable. There's, there's kind of the stereotype of the like sort of crusty and grumbly and unhappy sound guy. If that makes any sense, it's a stereotype. I don't think that's wholly accurate anymore. But I feel like there are a couple people in this industry who like kind of make up that sort of badge and wear it, if that makes any sense. So I don't know if that's like a stereotype that people kind of follow sometimes. I'm finding it less and less, to be honest. But sometimes, you know, I find another engineer that's like, a little bit like I don't have it in my current work experience right now, but in the past it's been like, oh, like you really just want to set it up and forget about it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Talk later. <laughs> yeah. I just I wonder where that stereotype came from. Like obviously stereotypes are grown out of habits or things that people have seen, whether once even if it's like anecdotal, right? That, like anecdotal evidence is usually what stems a lot of stereotypes, generally speaking. And so I just kind of wonder, like, what about people back in the day made that stereotype? Like, was it genuinely that they were like unapproachable or was it more or less that they were just super focused on something? And if somebody tried to talk to them, they were so engrossed that it was just like came off wrong. And then it became like a thing. And then people felt like they had to live up to that. I like that theory. I mean, I hate that second part about people feeling like they have to live up to it. But I like that theory that like it was just someone so focused and putting so much care into their job that they just came off as kind of curt because which one of us hasn't done that? Like, I'm working right now or whatever, you know? Yeah, I like that theory a lot. I hope that's it. And not just that back in the olden days, it was a bunch of dudes who are unhappy by working 16 hour days or something like that, which... Actually, I probably wouldn't blame anyone for being unhappy if that's all they're doing seven days a week, you know. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it's a bit of both. But I like I really like your theory. It's kind of a little more positive. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is. I don't, I'm also a, a tend to be more positive person, generally speaking. Good. But I don't know because I think about how many different fields of audio that there are, right? So many. It's so wonderful. And how is it that there's so many fields and everyone is just assumed to be grumpy old dude you get what I mean like there's something about that that just seems a little odd to me and so I've always just kind of wondered if maybe 
history and time just wasn't on their side. And we've like created this negative stereotype. And that's just sort of where it's been. Yeah, maybe. I think there's also like, I feel like there is like a certain like demographic that dominates all aspects of the audio industry. And that is like white middle-aged men, frankly. And so you see enough of one thing and that becomes a stereotype, right? And that becomes like, what people picture when they think of like an audio engineer or a sound designer or whatever. Although I know plenty of middle-aged white guys who are super lovely and my mentors and my friends. So I I like to hope that's not like a consistent thing throughout all of audio, you know, but as far as the grumpiness goes, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, I've met a lot of like lovely dudes out there who are exceptional to work with. So, but there is a grumpy, stereotype i've met it a lot in with more like one-off gigs i've done where like the venue tech or whatever has been a little bit more sort of like unhappy i think is the way of putting it so i think it depends on where you work too Eh, maybe (laughs) i don't know i'm always a food for thought type of person and that was my sort of yeah like where does that come from well i just chicken or the egg the chicken or the egg which one does come first always wondered You know, I think we just need a, a time machine to go back to the beginning of time and just, yeah. and just or ask God or whoever, you know, do you believe created the earth? Yeah. Which one came first? Please give me enlightenment as to which one came first. I always <laughs> I always think about that, though, because I think about like unhelpful stereotypes in terms of like race that we have, you know, especially more recently mm-hmm. with like, you know, Asian people and like, like all Asians are good at, you know, STEM fields. And you're like, yeah, well, some of them aren't, you know, like, but I'm just saying it's a stereotype that we know, uh, you know, and like black people love, you know, fried chicken. It's like, yeah, but people love fried chicken. Why is that exclusive to black people? You know what I mean? <laughs> I literally like- ate fried chicken like a couple nights ago and it was delicious. <laughs> Like what is? I mean, I'm have some of my favorite fried chicken I've ever had was like Korean fried chicken that they have. Ooh. It was really good. So I'm just like, where did that come from? You know, like why is it specific yeah. to Black people? So I think when I have hmm. like those sort of food for thoughts, it just kind of continues. Anyways, nothing. You don't know it came from, and like there's some. I guess sometimes there's some truth to stereotypes, but things can bleed into each other. And well, I I, I just think. We would all do well by ourselves and the people we work with and the world and the stories we're telling. If we remember that there there's no hard and fast rules with the way people operate or the things they like and that there's like a ton of exceptions. And that's kind of why the human race is so interesting, usually. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. I must I'm about to take that. That's like a nice little <laughs> little sound bite right there. Just got to put that on like an audiogram that I just go around posting all the time for no reason. Just because I woke <laughs> up today. It's a great thing to post. Just think about that for a second. <laughs> about that. Love it. We should actually do a uh, you know, legit intro of you. Uh, <laughs> maybe. So, well, you know, hey, we like. <laughs> so why don't you introduce yourself to the world as I call the audience. Well, hello world, which is a coding pun that I'll throw in there. My That's name exactly is I'm sorry. I'm glad that you knew that. That's literally where I stole it from. Because I, I took that. coding. Oh wait, what coding did you take? 
Uh, I learned C++ and Python. No. I have a math degree, so uh, we oh. had to learn how to code. I'm yeah. jealous. I've tried learning C sharp for years, but I keep on putting it up and putting it back down and getting distracted with life. You're going to have to teach me. <laughs> I have no problems with that. I'll brush up on those skills, man. Coding is fun. It, let me rephrase mm-hmm. that. Coding can be fun. When you do with other people's code and their code is trash, it's the worst. Oh, that's I'm what like, does it for you. I need comments. Yes. I don't understand people who write an entire thing of code and there's no comments. There's no nothing as to what they're doing or why. I, I don't get it. Don't do that. Job security? I don't know. It's pretty, <laughs> pretty awful. Or I, I get. I don't I know if that guarantees awful. you. I don't think that guarantees you a job. I think that just makes you a terrible person to work with because no singular one person ever writes all the code for everything that's going to mm-hmm. exist in a product. Like there's always going to be multiple people who are going to touch that. And if people can't realistically make out what you're coding or writing in your code or what you're trying to do, then I don't think people are going to want to work, want to work with you because there's no transferability to be able to yeah. work well what together. If, what if something happens to you? Like in my in my theater background, we have a saying that's like, what if you get hit by a bus? Like, how do you hand off? Which I don't know why that's like the common metaphor. It's a little extreme. What what if you get sick would have been fine. Um, but yeah, what if something happens to you and you need to hand over your your job to somebody who has to learn it in an hour? Yeah. So that's important. Comment your stuff out, man. You know, it's really funny that you say that because I literally got hit by a bus. No, (laughs) did not get hit by a bus. But I did. I did have a a really bad asthma attack. I'm allergic to perfumes as well. It's a thing. It's oh, my God. My life is interesting. And so in theater, they them people love to spray all the perfumes and the and the and the, the scents the scents <laughs> and uh your girl was dying uh, <laughs> they didn't mean to it was just it was an accident and it happened but it became this thing and so i remember thinking literally do i have to give this show up to somebody and if i do can they do it based off of the notes that i've written wow. and i remember that thought and i remember thinking they could, they really could, because I wrote down where the DB levels were supposed to be, who came in what? when, which mics, everything. Um, like when the band was supposed to come in, what volume they should come in at, and then where they should drop back down at. So if you had to follow through the book, you could definitely figure out how the show is supposed to go. Now you might have a little bit of a pacing issue that you might be a little weird with, but it still was like, mm, yeah, because you don't know the show, right? But otherwise. So although I'm not a fan of the whole, are you going to get hit by a bus thing? I will say that there are unexpected things that could happen. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's really real to to be prepared for in case you have to be out, no matter what job you're in, live sound, mm-hmm. coding, marketing. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and you, no, for real. It's important. It's like, no one likes to think about it, but you need to be able to be replaced at a moment's notice. And I think that's, you know. No one likes to feel like they're replaceable. I mean, I certainly don't, but also I'm a human being. And unfortunately, we break or need sleep or like things come up and all that jazz. That's important to plan for. Wait, should I introduce myself? I think oh, that was right. more Sorry, important. I got distracted. I got distracted. No, me too. Um, yes. that, was, that was the better way that conversation could have gone, <laughs> in my opinion. Y'all don't even know who I am now. What? <laughs> you know how I think. Just read, just read the bio in the in the show notes. It'll be fine. You'll all be fine. <laughs> I mean, my intro basically said you're a sound designer, 
sound mm-hmm. engineer person and mm-hmm. you work for NPR and you did video games, VR, live sound, immersive theater. It's fine. You're good. I covered all the bases. <laughs> yeah, no, you actually truly did. That's mostly it. But I will add the caveat that like I've I would love to do more game stuff and more VR stuff. Uh, I've mostly just like dabbled in the tools. But, yo, it's super fun. Spatial audio is where it's at. I should make up some side projects and do it soon, actually. But, yeah, right now I'm working at NPR, which is it's super cool. And it's actually a really great place to to work. And I most of the time I'm like a broadcast technician, but I've been doing a lot of the podcast mixing as well. Yeah. And there's going to be more coming up that I'm working on this year. So I'm very excited. I've been there almost two years now, which is insane. Yeah. So, so that's me, sound designer, audio engineer. That's what I'm doing now. So many things. Uh, ask me anything about audio and we can probably riff about it <laughs> a little bit. Well, I think the first thing that I would kind of like to know is why you got so many things that you're a part of. Not because that's bad or anything, but like a lot of times, like you hear people when they talk about going into audio, they say, you know, choose a specific space that you're going to be in and then be in it Mm. right so if you're going to do post-production for video games do post-production for video games right Mm. like or if you're going to have a recording studio have a recording studio and but what kind of recording engineer are you going to be are you going to be a recording engineer a mix engineer are you going to be a master engineer like I guess what I'm trying to say is find your niche and niche down you know to a reasonable level and then you know that's really how you're going to find your space in the world of audio. That's something that I've heard a lot be said. But I find that there are a good number of people who do not do that. (laughs) And you are one of them. I mean, you you have spanned different types of audio and experiences. And I just kind of wonder, like, was that on purpose? Or was it just like a happy coincidence? Or is that like, just like, how did that come to be? So I, I'll give you a bit of a background. So way back when, so I attended my undergrad from 2005 to 2009, and I studied design and technical theater. And that actually gives me a really interesting background because I mostly studied how everyone else works, like the scenic designers and everything. By the way, I may be the one audio person I've personally ever met who's never had an interest in being on stage or I don't even have a music background. Like I know music theory basics. But yeah, so I, I, uh, I came to technical theater from just loving the behind the scenes stuff. And then I did a show where I was the sound designer and it mainly meant recording or ripping songs from a vinyl record and doing some live Foley. And then I discovered, oh, I had a lot of fun doing that. Fast forward a lot after college, I ended up kind of nosediving into, I had to learn the audio basics, right? So I ended up getting an internship that paid me like they provided housing, but it paid like next to nothing, just barely enough to like live, but it was fine. I did fine. I'm still here today. And so I learned audio basics there, continued to work on stagecraft type stuff, being a technician for audio, doing really tiny sound design for storefront stuff. And then I eventually also worked on cruise ships doing like more concerty type stuff. So that kind of gave me all the audio foundations. But my heart has always been in the creative stuff. Like I've always been super impressed by the world around me. And I've always been really into like the idea that sound constantly exists around us. Like there's never true silence. So then how can we put that in a story context, you know, without like 
distracting from the story being told, stuff like that. So with that interest, I applied to graduate school at CalArts. So California Institute of the Arts. The cool thing about CalArts is that if you say, oh, what's that thing? I'm going to go try that thing. You can go do that thing. So my background was heavily in like the live theater aspect, which also lent itself to because of the CalArts connection with like all the themed entertainment, like professors and whatnot. That also lent itself to uh, working on theme park attractions and interactive audio and live situations, which also means, you know, working on an immersive theater because you have to think in like almost a nonlinear way. And what happens when the audience that you have no control over does goes over and touches that thing, you know? Yeah. And then so that's also how I got into dabbling with game audio because uh, NVR, because I said, oh, well, this interactive stuff is really cool. You know, it does that a lot as games. So I've done stuff like hackathons and whatnot just to play in that space. Super fun. So that's the foundations. And then like working after graduate school, I just like went wherever money could take me. And that was often in my sort of more technician and engineer skill set, which is, which is still super fun. But with that said, I found any little project I could that was creative and like did it. And then that led to bigger projects like I did the sound design for Universal Studios Hollywood uh, Halloween Horror Nights a few times. Learned a lot about Pro Tools editing there, which leads itself to other parts of audio, right? Because if I can edit audio pretty well for a theme park, I can help my friends with their with their indie films and I can do podcasts and I can do, I guess, just any sort of asset creation. So like making sound effects and whatnot. So yeah, that's kind of like a very... Oh, and then I got my current job by having, you know, that engineering background. And because I have a really cool boss right now who he saw my background and said, oh, if you can handle theater, you can handle radio. So, you know, I interviewed and I got the job. So everything I've like, it's funny because they all sound unrelated. But in actuality, all these things have like skills that relate to each other. So it's, it's, yeah, I'm baffled when people say, pick one and that's it. And, you know, there are things I don't do. Like I said, I don't do music. I can do basic music editing if someone needs it, but there are people who could probably do it faster and better. I don't write music. I'm not like, I don't record bands. I'm not a mastering engineer. I don't mix albums. So you know what? In a way that does give me a niche because I do everything (laughs) except that. (laughs) So yeah, I'm blown away because like you're telling people to find a niche, but there's, you can still like get good at a bunch of different things that sort of correlate to each other. And so I would say like, you know, get good at a DAW or a couple of DAWs and that will help you get a lot of work. It all relates in my opinion, you know. That's an interesting thought. That's how I do so much audio. <laughs> yeah. Get a DAW, that's what you're great at. And then like, yeah, why limit yourself? Also layoffs happen, you can lose your job, like, or if you freelance, freelance is really hard, but imagine like if you can go do sound for a play and then the next week you're editing an audio book you don't have any holes in your, in your schedule. You're making, you're making your rent. So why are we telling people to just yeah. not, <laughs> don't do everything. No, that's so wrong <laughs> in my opinion. But I also acknowledge that there are plenty of people that maybe it's really hard to like get really good at like so many different things. And I mean, it took me like 10 years to like, ten, it didn't take me the whole time to build up good engineering chops. But you know, I spent 10 years really working exclusively in that so 
Yeah, I know. I can get it. And there's honestly, there's probably a lot of things I don't know that I could be a lot better at if I was just focusing on one thing. So, you know, there there are ups and downs for sure. So when I went to college the first time, my degree was in music business with an emphasis in recording. Cool. And through that, the degree plan was set up around this idea that as people in the music industry, we were going to need multiple skills. We were going to need multiple ways to be able to run a business, take care of ourselves in terms of your finances, in terms of marketing for yourself, in terms of what it means to run your own business in a bunch of different ways. And I remember at the time being highly frustrated because in addition to learning business skills, which I did see value in at the time, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we also learned music skills, which I did not see value in Hmm. at the time. I mean, you could say that there's a musicality that's useful to what we do nowadays in terms of rhythm and stuff like that. You can make that argument. Oh, you mean like music theory, not like recording? Yeah, like music theory in terms of music theory, musicianship. So hearing music and understanding chord progressions and what that sounds like being able to reproduce it physically with your own body Um, we were also required to like learn different instruments and different things like that and so I find this conversation around niching down really interesting because I went to a school that was like that that was very much so learn all these different things but what they didn't talk about was learning different traits in audio they taught you a whole bunch of other things, but they were always very like, choose a specific audio thing and do that specific audio thing. So it was a different type of idea of what skills you should learn. And so that's why I find what you said really interesting is because that is also a way in which one should also be, I guess, prepared for life (laughs) in terms of the world of being in the audio industry or just being in the world in general yeah totally (laughs) that doesn't really lead to a question it was just why i thought what you said it's interesting (laughs) i mean i feel like there's as long as there's a common thread like it all makes sense like i might say that i dabble in all this sound stuff but like i'm not like an expert in the stuff that i say is really cool that i want to do more of right like the game audio and the vr audio i've never even shipped a game before i've just made stuff with friends but like if you think about that I got into that from a theater background where you everything is object based like you put speakers in special places on stage so the sound like emulates from that spot and you you might have to like build a cue list they run it director says oh hold we have to go back and do something then you have to figure out how you built your cue list to go back in a way that will get people to the correct spot backwards if you already jump from one section in act one and then to the next section in act like two if you're if they're working on notes and stuff so that stuff relates I think definitely basic practices of audio engineering and sound design relates and in terms of like your music program there's like common threads there too I'm sure right because you still had to like yeah knowing music and like learning how to listen that's all a part of it right and then business stuff that relates to audio engineering I mean even not just the hard skills, but like the soft skills of customer service and, you know, understanding that, you know, you got to treat your clients well, or it can affect your bottom dollar. I mean, that's not the only reason why, but that's the business reason why. Right. So 
It's all a common yeah. thread, even if it seems random. Exactly. And I think that's that was a better articulation of what I was trying to get at, which is that there's common threads that we don't always necessarily see yeah. that aren't like slap you in the face obvious sometimes they're a little bit more nuanced so like a friend of mine she went on tour and one of the things that she was doing while she was touring was also doing the books for the band that she was touring for and so it's like if she didn't have those skills already then you know she might not have gotten that job to go on tour where she was also in charge of the books but also in charge of doing audio that's cool. So it's it's really interesting when you think about it like that, too. That's very cool. I can see how those skills relate, too, though. It's like the math mindset, the audio mindset. It's like the same. Is it left brain or right brain? It's one side of your brain. It's just the same, like, logical thinking. But yeah, totally makes sense. <laughs> People make those analogies all the time. I'm like, left brain, right brain. I don't care. The point is I use my brain. <laughs> Sometimes one little thing means I use all of my brain. Did you always want to be, sorry, this had nothing to do with anything, but did you always want to be a sound engineer? Like, I'm sorry, that just popped in Like since infancy? I mean, <laughs> since the dawn of time? Uh, no. <laughs> since infancy. Since the I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I guess the a better way to put that is, when did you realize you wanted to be a sound engineer or in the world of tech or production in general? Like, when did that happen for you? Yeah, it definitely started in the world of tech. So, yeah. So it sounds a little, I don't mean to get sad, but like my my younger life, like I didn't really know what I enjoy doing. I didn't really like, you know, I had a good life <laughs> for sure, but I didn't really have a place. Yeah, I liked like reading, writing, all that stuff. But, you know, what did that mean? And then I'd always wanted to do technical theater at like my high school and just like logistically, like you stay way late after school. Like I didn't have a car when I was that young. It didn't really work out. So, but finally senior year, I was able to like put it all together. And I said, I'm going to do it. Like I'm going to do technical theater. And I was doing like scenic construction. I wasn't doing anything. Like I wasn't running any cables even. I was like painting. I was like sawing stuff. I was drilling like building flats that's when I really started to step into like who I am as a person and I was like this is this is the shit (laughs) I don't know what I liked about it but I was like I've been doing this for like three months like I'm gonna major in this in college so (laughs) I just went to college and did that and then I did anything and everything like my first crew job or not job but like crew role was um, being a light board operator and by the way, not even programming. It was just the stage manager said, go. I hit the go button. And then I can't speak lighting now. I don't know anything about it. My fiance is a lighting designer. And um, yeah, we make a lot of fun of each other. <laughs> <laughs> Tangent anyway. So and then I just did everything because of like, I guess, just the way I could pick stuff up and my willingness to learn. I quickly got like kind of more leadership roles at my undergrad. So if I said, I want to go try that thing, usually my teachers would let me. And it was kind of a program that was a little behind the times, really nice people. But with that said, sound design wasn't always an open role. Well, there became a show that had a role for sound design. And I said, you know what, that's something I haven't tried yet. I really want to try that. And so I did. And it was Crimes of the Heart by... 
Oh, shoot. I forget her name, but it's a well-known play. So I am losing my uh, dramaturgy card right now. That's okay. I never really had one to begin with, I guess. Uh, Crimes of the Heart. And, you know, it was we had music that the director specifically wanted this. So I didn't even pick the music. But what I did do was rip it off of the vinyl records he had. And, oh, God, what was the DAW we used? It was like, I think it was Sony Vegas row it was something like that really i've never touched it since have you heard of it you haven't got this no but i found i found your crimes of the heart by beth henley yes that's her that's that's her (laughs) thank you i I found that part i didn't didn't you start talking about another one and i was like ah let me get to that google (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna give you my dramaturgy card uh (laughs) so involved that and then i was like no there's other opportunities here so there was some, it was in a black box, which is for people that aren't, do you know theater like setups? I do. Theater is actually my, my intro into audio besides church sound. Oh, good. Yeah. Same. We have that yeah. in common. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> for the sake of flow, I'll wrap this up. And then I want to hear about your first show. <laughs> um, so it was in a black box and this black box had a balcony. So, you know, black box for people listening basically the audience and the actors are on the same plane like in the same room but it can be proscenium it can be in the round it's basically a square room where people perform and the audience also sees it it's i could sell it a lot better but it's really cool because they tend to be very intimate so it's really really fun for sound designers and this particular black box had a balcony all around like three of the four walls so i grabbed like a bunch of like rehearsal blocks and like other things to hit the rehearsal blocks with and there were like poignant moments in the play where it felt appropriate to have that live fully carried out by people backstage so I did that and I was like shoot that was really fun to like build the world that way like next time there's a sound design opportunity like I'm gonna do that and so there is this festival called the American College Theater Festival uh, did you hear about it in your in your theater days I heard of it. I've never been to it, though. Okay. It's it's very intimidating. You're selected to, like, kind of present your, your work. So that was selected to present to ACTF. And that felt cool because I was like, oh, I got to take my sound design to this theater festival and, like, show it off. And I was like, I'm going to look for the next opportunity to do sound. Like, this has been awesome. And then so I got... At this point, I didn't know what I was going to do after college still. Um, I'm still doing all the technical theater I possibly could. And so the next show I did was actually a student-directed piece that was super rad called The Hot House by Harold Pinter. It takes place in a mental asylum, and it's about, like, corruption in a lot of ways. And so I did the sound design for that, and it was sound heavy. And by the way, like... QLab, like a uh, theater software, was definitely a thing at this point. We didn't have it. I put everything on CDs. I feel so. I didn't oh run God. the board for that. I I feel so bad for my board op. I I think it was my friend Jessica. If you're listening to this, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so all on CDs, and then I took it to KCACTF again. So the second sound design I did went to a theater festival. I presented it. And then I got like honorable mention for my region. And I was like, 
oh shoot, I'm doing sound now. <laughs> so I didn't know about like audio production till like much, much later. And, you know, I didn't even understand it till I stumbled in and got an internship and learned about it and kept working as a tech and worked my way up, got a proper education at CalArts finally. And yeah, it's it's been wild. But yeah, I discovered it. So the TLDR of that is discovered technical theater in high school because it was something I wanted to try discovered sound design through undergrad. And of course, with saying, oh, sound design, you learn all the audio engineering stuff because those those are the tools. And then audio engineering is fun as well. And that paid the bills um, whenever I wasn't doing sound design stuff. So, yeah. Cool. That's cool. Thanks. Long story. <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. Okay. So to answer your question, let's see. I started... Okay. <laughs> I started doing sound in a capacity when I was in high school. I believe it was my freshman year of high school. So I was going to a church at the time. And so I don't, I didn't live close to the church because the church was down the street from the school that I went to. And we were transferred to that school because in Arlington, that's a thing that you can do is transfer from one school to another if the school that you are at is deemed not befitting for your children, right? You can pay a certain amount of money and get oh, them transferred each year. Sure, okay. And since we lived in the poor neighborhood and the school that we were at was not the best, after the principal who was at that school left, my mom paid for us to get transferred to a different school. And so we didn't live near our school. My mom would drop us off in the morning and she'd come pick us up after school. Wow. After work. Whole okay. Thing. Yeah. So because of that, I would go to church and I would stay at church. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, until it was time for me to go home when my mom got off or whenever church service was over, you know. And so because the school and the church were like down the street from each other. So you could just walk there. And so we'd walk to, to church. And that was like a thing. So because I was there all the time, they were like, hey, why don't you learn to do something? You're just sitting here looking kind of <laughs> bored. And I kind Love of was, I was supposed to study, but eh, whatever. <laughs> and so I started doing sound because our assistant youth pastor was like, hey, do you want to learn how to set all the stuff up for service? And I was like. Yeah, sure, whatever. And so I started learning that like as like a nothing thought. It was just here's something for you to do. And if I was like, all right, well, I got nothing else better to do with my time, so why not? And then that's kind of where it stayed. It stayed at me just setting up stuff for church on Sundays or on Wednesdays or whenever I went to church. And then that was it. I didn't have like some sort of like inherent passion towards it. It was just something that I did. Um, but I didn't do like any sort of passion work I didn't discover my passion for it until later in high school after I had knee surgery and I was no longer able to do sports and so oh. I had to choose a different elective <laughs> I know right? my life was a little bit crazy <laughs> and wow. so after that I I had always been interested in theater. I just never had time because theater takes up so much time. Sports take up so much time. And since I was so heavy in sports, I was like, well, I can't really invest in theater the same way, even though I've always loved it. And so when I had knee surgery and I had all this magical time on my hands now, I did theater and started doing more technical stuff. And then I kind of kept doing the technical stuff because I'd been 
doing um, building houses for mission trips and stuff like that with the church. And so I had a lot of those skills already to continue in technical theater. And so when senior year came around and they're like, hey, what are you going to go to college for? And I was like, I'm going to go to school to be an electrical engineer double majored with computer science. Why? I don't know. I wanted to design roller coasters. <laughs> I love that though. And so it just kind of snowballed from there. And yeah, so I just kind of, I kept doing church and I think that's really what like led me to doing a lot of other things was church audio kind of was a consistent thing. Like it was something I didn't think about, which I think is people are like, that's kind of weird. Like, how are you in this world of audio? And you've been doing it for years, but you weren't thinking about it because it wasn't a thing for me. It was just what I did. It was an after school active, like AV club, except with a little bit higher stakes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, funny. Yeah. And so then when I moved to Austin, I did my first solo musical by myself. Oh, gosh. Which was absolutely insane. I did it for. No one should do one show by themselves like that. You need a team of sound people. Nope, I did Shoot. it by myself. I was Dude. at a theater and I did the show Smokey Joe's Cafe. And <laughs> wow, I've never and even so, seen Smokey um, Joe's. We had a sound designer who came in and sound designed, and then I was in charge of the rest. So, what would be considered an A1, A2 position, I was in charge of both of those roles. Oh, I see. So, there was a sound designer, but you did both the crew positions, which was also a lot. But I feel better for you that there was someone else to do the politics while you mix the show, which kind of, unfortunately, what sound design for musicals ends up being a little bit of, but good. <laughs> anyway, go on. Yeah. So no, that was my first like nice. real musical show that wasn't a concert or like by concert. I mean, like, I mean, if you can call them concerts, <laughs> they weren't really concerts. Okay. They're, they're oh, like... I'm sure they have, were a lot of work in their own, right? Yeah. But they're like, yeah, they're like those like jam band type concerts, you know, where like you only have like two microphones and there's like ten people on stage. Oh, God. and you just kind of stand there because you're like, yeah, there's nothing I could do about any of that. <laughs> like, we like call those type... acoustic performances. <laughs> That's what we're calling them. I call them call them jam band concerts because that I love was an interesting experience but I did a lot of those and then the first musical was Smokey Joe's Cafe so yeah that's cool so wait do you also not come from an acting music background no no oh my god you're the second one I yeah, yeah. This is yeah you said that earlier you said that earlier and I was like yeah I mean, like... you same same background my friend because I definitely was not playing no instruments I was not doing it no you're wrong I've always loved to sing as I, I like walking around singing all the time like it's just what I do like play music I'm probably going to sing to it but I've never really felt the desire to be like on stage I was never an on stage person and so I tried, I thought about doing it once just for like the experience of it, but then I never got around to doing it. So yeah, <laughs> no, that's so cool. I guess this is sort of my, more of my performing style, I guess, because yeah. podcasting and hosting people, I guess yeah. is sort of a, it's totally a, I don't know if I want to call it like a performance because it's not acting, but you do have to like turn yourself on and yeah, it's, it's, it's public, I guess is kind of what I mean. <laughs> yeah no but it's interesting yeah so that's 
Yeah. So you and I, you said that earlier and I was like, we're on the same wavelength there. Cause I definitely felt that way. I was like, I don't want to do any of that stuff. <laughs> I like, don't want people like looking and listening to me. Like, I guess, you know, if you mix a show, people are listening to you in a way, but uh, it's, it's different for sure. Yeah. No, I feel better. You're the first other person I've met who has a zero performance background and does audio. So thank you. I'm so sorry I made an assumption before. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, I think it's one of those things where, I mean, that's very common. It's, it's, it's like saying that you come from a church background. Like so many people got started in audio because they were in church as a youth or whatever, you know, like that mm. is such a common introduction to the world of audio. So for yeah. me, it's not like, I just pretty much assume that at some point, probably most sound engineers that I've talked to are going to say that they've done something in the church at least once generally speaking obviously not for every person but that's something that I like especially in terms of live sound that's something that I wouldn't feel like ashamed saying but I would also welcome if you said that you didn't have that so to me I think that's also kind of one of those things as well a lot of people get into audio because they were in a band and they wanted to record themselves and or they were in a band and we went on tour and we didn't have a sound engineer. So we had to be our own sound engineers. You know, like, like those sorts of experiences are super common amongst a lot of people in the world of audio. Yeah. So, I get it. Cool. Get it. There needs to be more of us, more people that just, you know, got scrappy and <laughs> said, I'm going <laughs> to do it anyway. <laughs> I, I think though that there's probably a transition of that happening though. Now with, the access of like YouTube and stuff like that. I think there's probably going to be more people who aren't starting from a position of wanting to be a performer, but starting from a position of liking the technical side of it, I think, but I don't know that for sure. I don't know them people. I mean, <laughs> I would love to know them people. Hey, if you're one of those people, right? you should you should hit me up on the Instagram or the Discord server that you all should be joining anyways so we can be together and be friends and chit-chat about these sort of random ideas that we have on the show. Right. Also, message me so I can send you the link. <laughs> yes. We can, like, hold each other accountable for, like, ear training because that's the one connection I've made is like oh like well people that grow up with like doing music and all that their ears are really good because they've been listening to that stuff for their whole lives and you know I just I do ear training like on I was gonna say like for leisure it's for work but like you know I do it when I'm not actively working but yeah you know it's like I've had to train my ears over in my like adulthood almost to hear for all the things I'm listening for but it's interesting because I guess Musicians are listening for music and then technicians and engineers are listening for like whether frequency is boosted or cut or, you know, all the other phasing, like all the other technical things. So I've, I've often wondered if I'm like if I'd had a music background, if my hearing would be a little bit more not my hearing, but like my ability to pick stuff out would be even better. Like, I think I do OK, but, you know, I've, I'll always wonder, could I be better? I think it's that, but also I think a lot of people who start off with a music background, they have the terminology. I did not, and to this day, I still struggle with terminology. I don't have the words for things all the time but that I'm hearing. Like, I know what I'm hearing, but I don't have the words for what I'm hearing. Oh, I mean, like crunchy, tubby, like gravelly, stuff, stuff like, like that. like that, or like when you hear a band play and there's like 
something that's missing, or you can tell that they're out of sync with each other, or just all sorts of terms that go along with being, I guess, what we what we consider a producer, but not necessarily a producer in terms of like, just at a recording studio. But if somebody had to produce something in general, they had to listen and, and be like, hey, this sounds wonky, or this would sound better if you did this or whatever, that type of listening but also the frequencies and stuff like that, because a lot of those terms are, I don't want to say interchangeable, but they do relate to each other. So like being able to describe something as thin has a sort of connotation to it. And when you tell a musician, Hey, this sounds thin and you're mixing them for a live show that gives them a certain connotation that gives them a certain idea feeling, you know what I mean? Like there's like a interesting uh, 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 work together sort of thing. I don't know what this <laughs> hand gesture was that nobody else can see, but you know, whatever that it's was, it's supposed to convey that. <laughs> that stuff comes with time though. You know, like, I feel like it's like the more you do it, the more you, it's, it's ear training. Cause it's like the identifying something as, Oh, that sounds boomy. And knowing, you know, I think it just takes practice. I think you can get there if you're not already closer than you think you are. Yeah. But I'm just, I think that's that's probably what people mean when they say that, though. Gotcha. Cool. What do you use for your ear training practices? Like, how do you go about doing that? So I do a few different things. I need to make it more of a regular thing because lately it's kind of like, oh, I have time right now. I'm going to do this for five minutes. So I use Isotope has one. Uh, I'll grab the website right now. I just love Isotope for like learning in general. They have a good blog. Yeah, their ear training is awesome. What's that website name? Oh, Pro Audio Essentials. And that's cool because, yeah, so pae.isotope.com. Yeah, it has exercises for equalization and compression. So that's pretty cool. I also have a membership to soundgym.co, which like gamifies ear training. You know about sound gym, I'm guessing. I do. Yeah. Thank you, sound girls. Do you use it? Appreciate you. <laughs> yeah. yeah all the Thank time. you, sound girls. <laughs> That's what I need to say right now too. That's why I have it. I, I try to do the whole five minutes. I try to do it every day. It doesn't always happen because life, but I try to do at least five minutes of an exercise to get better at that. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah, that's what I do. And then there's, if I don't have the time and I'm like driving a lot that day, I'll put on a song and just try to focus on like one instrument and follow it through the whole song and kind of like make note about it technically. So that's an exercise. What I really want to find is, did you ever hear uh, Golden Ears? I have not. What's Golden Ears? It is magic. So the one downside to all these online ear training is that you have a vis- you have options in front of you, which is fine, but you're not saying, you're not taking your own guesses of, oh, is that, that's 5 dB at, um, or 5 dB boost at 2K or anything. You know, it's all, it's like multiple choice. The cool thing about Golden Ears is that it's, it's, it was a CD collection, which is why I'm having a hard time finding it. Yeah, CDs. I, we did this in grad school. It plays different like white noise or frequencies or music and you have to guess what's happening. And then uh, I think it's like either a booklet or something has like all the answers. So I want to find that and work on that and really check my ego <laughs> with that one. Oh my gosh. Okay, so that reminds me of when I was in college. There's this book 
that we used in all years of our training. Now, I'm not going to lie. The book is from the professor who worked at this school, but it had a very similar thing. It comes with two CDs. So there is the student version and then there's the teacher version. The teacher version has all the answers in it, obviously. But if you buy the student version, it's like worksheets. And so it plays different tones. It starts off with like one tone or one, you know, um, if it's like half step away or is it a minor chord or whatever, you start small and then work your way up. And so there's four books on that you go through and you can like do basically the same thing as like a workbook. You buy it. I think the book is like $40 or something like that. But depending on how you value, you know, being able to do your own work. And so then as you progress through the exercises, they get harder and harder. And so then it gets to the point where you can only write what you think you hear. So there's no options. It's playing something and you have to write it in. And so then you have to figure out what that is as a result. It's really interesting. It was, it was actually a really cool book. I, I do have it. So sometimes I'll whip those out because I, have pages that I hadn't done. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great way to work up. Like, I love the idea of like starting multiple choice, but then it gets harder and you have to figure it out yourself. That's cool. That's super cool. That's a great way to uh, actively practice your training without cheating with multiple choice. It's yes, not really cheating, but you know choice. it's kind of. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but when you can narrow it down, <laughs> I mean, most yeah, of the time you help. look at something and you're like, I know it's not that. No matter what you try to <laughs> yeah. tell me, I know it's not those two extreme ones right there. So what's the other two? You know, and so it, it, there's a there's a level of that. I get Valid. That. I try so hard not to look at my computer screen sometimes just so I can, like when I do the ear training, just so I can be like, oh, that's definitely in this range. And then, you know, not know about the choices being offered. But it's it's hard to, yeah, navigate the website without looking at it. So... <laughs> So I guess now that that's come to an end, we should transition graciously (laughs) that I'd never do those very well. So lies. (laughs) I've heard your other podcasts and you say you don't transition well. And I'm like, yeah, uh, conversations end very (laughs) abruptly with me. I'm looking forward to just pulling in some theme music and uh, helping both of us out (laughs) or whatever. Actually, earlier today to prep myself, I listened to the one that you uh, you interviewed Bonnie Bogovich. Oh, yeah. And then on my, I also listened to Danny Ober, Oberelli. Oh, I'm Oberly. her name. Oberly. Oberly. I'm so sorry. I've, lis- I've listened to Krista Giametti's podcast that you did with her and uh, Akash the Cars. And I think those are the only ones. But yeah, you find really cool people. So good job. <laughs> really you. good job. I, yeah. I didn't expect for you to go that far into it. <laughs> sorry, everybody. Now I'm just randomly calling out other cool audio people. No, I mean... <laughs> First off, thank you for listening. I greatly appreciate anybody who actually listens to this. But secondly, I really strive to have different types of people on the show. Um, That's a a very conscious thought that I put into who I ask to be on the show and who I choose to interview. It's very intentional. It's not just any random sound person. And so I appreciate when people are like, no, these people were, were really great or I really enjoyed their episodes or whatever for various reasons, because I really do put a lot of thought and effort into it. 
Um, also, now that I know you have a standard for people on the, I mean, I know you have a standard for people on this <laughs> podcast, but now that I know what you're looking for, I'm very flattered. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I'm, I'm glad that you are flattered. I find it interesting though, because when it comes to podcasting, there's so many ways to do podcasting, but also mm -hmm. there aren't really that many podcasts. Like when you think about like the grand scheme of content that's put out in the world in general, like really, you don't think there are that many podcasts compared to music? No. If oh, I compare that to that's like true. movies, no huh. video games. No, I think podcasts are such a new entity that there are still people who don't even know what a podcast is at least people can tell you what a video game is people can tell you yeah. you know that there's new artists coming out whether you like their music or not is a whole nother thing oh. but they exist they're out there there's garage band is out there you have you know mixed cloud you have all these different platforms dedicated to people just having music just music nothing else and that doesn't really exist a whole lot in terms of podcasts now, I'm, I'm not saying that, that the world of podcasting is like you know, non-existent. But I just think that in the grand scheme of other developed entertainment gotcha. forms, if you will, that podcasting, because it's so new, it's not on those levels yet. But I think that's a good thing and a bad, I mean, not a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. I just think that it hasn't, in terms of like models for the show, they're sort of like specific models that people tend to follow yeah if they want to make good content you know i guess there are there are formulae for what works with audiences and what doesn't i feel like there's definitely a lot of tools out there we're using one right now there's a lot of tools that are meant specifically for like audio podcast producers but i think you're right i never thought to compare it to to like other mediums and say oh it's actually quite small but it's definitely newer, which is interesting because it's based off of radio, if you think about it, which is very old. Yeah. So, um, but I don't know where I'm going with this. But yeah, it's it's interesting that you call it a, like, that's still very small. And I think there's a lot, I think there are a lot of podcasts out there, but I feel like only so many are um, known by the majority, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah. I can see what you but mean by definitely that. Definitely not as many TV as TV shows. Like people could list off like ten TV shows easily, but I would be interested in hearing if the same person could list off ten podcasts. So, exactly, and that's sort of where I'm going with that. Is like people can list off ten bands. They can list off ten bands from this year that they like, let alone like the last decade, let alone the last five years or twenty or thirty. Right? People could be like, "Oh, here's a list of these bands." No thought at all. Right. Yeah. When you ask somebody to list movies, people can usually list at least 10 movies, no thought. But as people list 10 podcasts, most people are kind of like, I can barely list maybe one. In some people's cases, they got, unless you're like really into podcasting, then and you people would, are, yeah. Then those people, most of them would know. But the general population, it's just not there yet. And I don't think, uh, I'm not saying that it's not going to get there because I definitely think it is headed that direction, especially when you look at like, 2020 and what happened with you know the rona and like all of that sort of stuff i know i call it yeah. uh, but you look at what happened with that you know i, I do yeah i call it that I call it vid. and and just how people were then all of a sudden like oh well how do we what else can we do and how else can we put stuff out there and 
YouTube is great and all, but YouTube is also highly saturated. And so then you have sort of a potential barrier to entry unless you can find a way to be super unique on YouTube, right? Unless you can find a way to like really find your audience and have your audience find you, YouTube can be a bit of a challenge for new people who want to get into it. But with podcasting, that doesn't necessarily exist. Everybody has a device that they can just sit down and record on. Whether the audio quality is good or not does not matter. The point is that they can sit down and record themselves. Everyone has a phone. And then turn around and upload that. Yeah. So if that's all you have for your barrier to entry, then it makes more people more likely to want to go into that form of median because it's not as hard. And Yeah, everyone has a laptop. In terms of the barrier to entry. And does it mean the podcast sounds good if you're just using your laptop or microphone? No, and but some people don't don't care. Yeah, it's really easy barrier to entry. And it's funny because like I always thought because of that, it was really saturated. So it's really interesting hearing from you that podcasts aren't such a big thing yet. And that definitely speaks to like, from my point of view, working in radio and podcasts right now, it, it's my world. <laughs> so like I, I assumed it was saturated and a lot of people like listen to our stuff and it's it's great. But there are definitely a lot of people who don't you know they get in their car and they want to listen to music not the news or podcasts so the next step is how do we reach those people because it's also important to know about the world around you as good as music is there's there's room for both you know that's what I'm saying but it's definitely very interesting to hear you say that and well I, I think you're right to hear you point out that fewer people listen to like podcasts are still aren't quite mainstream yeah opens up my eyes a bit because I totally thought they were but I have to remember that's like that's my world so of course I think it's of course it's at the forefront of my of my life (laughs) right yeah Yeah. exactly I don't know it's I find it really interesting when it comes to podcasts because people do tend to think that it's highly saturated like if you're in the world of podcasting people tend to think it's like super saturated but if you're like on the outside of podcasting then you may or may not like you might have heard the word you know it's a thing that people do you've probably heard of Joe Rogan right like a lot of people are like oh that Joe Rogan dude has that podcast right and and that's usually the sentence that a lot of people can say and then however you feel about him it's not really the point the point is that he is still the largest podcast in the world and that is most people's sort of barrier to entry to even knowing what that word is. So it comes to mind. Right. And that's what comes to mind. Or it's Apple and you being told, oh, Apple's decided that they're going to split off their iTunes store into three different things. And now you have three apps. One of them is podcasting. One of them is music. One of them is film and TV. And so you're like, why do they need a whole separate app for podcasting? That's not even a thing, right? Like there's a lot of people who are like, why does that even matter? Who cares about that? That's not even a thing that people do, right? Like (laughs) there's so many people who have just like, when that split happened, they were just like, what is this even this podcasting thing anyways? Why does it need its own app? You know? And so you look at stuff like that and you're like, ah, I don't know, just yeah. Stuff. Did you know that's why it's called, Apple is why they're called podcasts? I do it's know that. The iPod. Yeah. Yep. Weird, I right? Knew that. Yeah. I, it's really funny because a lot of people get mad at it. They're like, oh, I wish Apple didn't get a chance to name it first. And it's like, yo, you can't reverse time, my friends. <laughs> Let it go. <laughs> look, they still have the largest directory. Just look, just just embrace it. Okay. When, when, when Apple be called- decides to rear its ugly head from underneath the... the- Let it. It's, it's not going to stop. It's, it's yeah. It's what not. Would you rather and, call us podcasts? 
like, or, or whatever. I don't know. So many people have other names for what they've called it. I don't remember them at the, off the top of my head right now because I'm not going to lie. They kind of sounded stupid. I mean, I'm not saying that <laughs> podcast sounds like genius or anything, but it's in my head. It's what they're called. It's, what it's easy. It's it. distinct. I think I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. I don't know. I think people just have an issue with Apple. <laughs> I just really want to boil Yeah. Down yeah. You know, I'll admit they have a monopoly. I have Apple products. I'm talking to you via like a MacBook right now. Like I'm roped into the Apple monopoly for sure. But at the end of the day, it's like their user experience is kind of what gets it gets it done, you know? So, I mean, some people are roped into the Samsung world. Some people are Google mm-hmm. only people. Some people are Windows only. I don't think that that matters much to me. Like to me, I don't care. Like I just need something that's going to do whatever I want that thing to do. If that means that it's Apple, great. If it means that it's not, whatever. So like my computer at the house, I have an iMac, but my laptop is the Surface Book. So it's the two-in-one tablet laptop combo. Love that sucker. Amazing. I love the fact that I have a tablet mode and then I have like an actual laptop if I need it to be an actual laptop. It's one of my favorite things. It's one of the reasons why I bought it. It's because I wanted both of those functionalities. So that's why I bought it. So to me, I don't really care. I just need something to do what I wanted to do. If whatever brand that is and, you know, isn't out here, you know, being heathens and breaking all the time, I don't really care too much. (laughs) But I know a lot of people have like that passion, you know, passion. And then the passion to hate Apple too. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Or Windows for that matter. How dare you not have the blue bubbles? How dare you only have blue bubbles? Like, oh my God, who cares? Shut up. I know. I don't understand that. I'm like, just text me. <laughs> Whatever. I don't care. I'm not that. I mean, I am interested in tech. I just don't feel like any allegiance to anything. Maybe I should. Maybe then I'll give me a product sponsorship. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I feel like as audio people, we tend to be so engrossed in tech all the time and staying up to date on other things and having preferences with like microphones or other things like that that sometimes it's like my phone whatever it can be anything or whatever but that said I am sucked into Apple because of the user experience and like you know having it work with my Mac in certain ways is pretty cool so and I'm tied to Mac because of the what it does for sound design like everyone most people who are sound designers work on Macs so that's how I'm trapped in the Apple universe not trapped it's fine it's just my laptops will always be super expensive it's cool. Have you updated to the new M1 chips yet? Do any of your computers have that? No, I actually, no, I wish, well, me personally, I haven't updated to my, I haven't updated to M1 and I, I probably won't for a while because I got this laptop when I like, oh, I got it like right before it came out because I was so scared that I wouldn't be able to use Pro Tools for a while. So I wanted to get it before the M1 came out and made Pro Tools incompatible for a bit. But then the computers with the M1 chip came out and it's apparently amazing. So I have regrets, but, you know, next time in a couple of years, which is about how long the Apple computer lasts. I'm just kidding. They last longer, but <laughs> yeah, so I, I've heard they're really good. Does yours have an M1? No, I have my mine is a refurbished from 2013. Uh, oh. <laughs> I got mine when I was in college. That's fine. I had some leftover scholarship money, and so I was able to buy a computer because I didn't have a computer at that time. And so, and you need one used, in college. 
we do need one in college. And so I was allowed to use the money to buy the computer. So I went and bought this one and I've had it ever since. Very smart. So, yeah, I, I don't see me upgrading anytime soon just because there's not really a need for it. I guess if there was a need, then I'd probably reconsider it. I needed another laptop because this is obviously a desktop and I needed a laptop for when I wasn't at the house because I was traveling a lot at the time. So that's why I bought the Surface Book. And a lot of the program and stuff that I was using, it didn't matter what hardware it was or anything like that. So I didn't feel like I needed to stay in the Apple-verse, but I really wanted a tablet, but I didn't want to have to buy a laptop and then a tablet because that would have been a lot. And so um, I like being able, I take a lot of notes and I write a lot. And so it was really nice to be able to have that in the Surface Book. Just had to buy the pen and then I could write on the tablet. Oh, like a stylus. Yeah. That's really cool. Nice. Yeah. So I write a lot in on my Surface Book. And so it was really great to just have that built in to just write, be done. Great. And it's all in my computer and it's synced across the board. So versus needing like multiple devices to just do like something that I wanted. I would love to try it though. I've heard amazing things. I've also heard though that there's some issues with some of um some compatibility with some programs depending on what the software is, which happens yeah. anytime new updates come out. That's always a thing. And so other than those little bits, a lot of people that I know who found ways to work around that have really been enjoying it. And that had more to do with iOS issues than the M1 chips themselves. And it was more like oh, the iOS was I know what you're saying new as well. And so since the iOS was the newer version of it, it caused things to break. But if you went to an older version of the iOS, then you were fine and you didn't have any of those issues. That's cool. Yeah, I think I heard that Pro Tools is okay, but plugins, there are some plugins that are having issues. I think that was the last thing I heard. Yeah. It's always a gamble. Always a gamble when you upgrade. Do your research. Yeah. Stay a couple years behind the technology. (laughs) Just a little bit. Just a little bit. So that way you don't don't end up in that whole, I upgraded and now everything is broken. Because that's the worst. That is the worst. (gasps) So good. Okay. So, uh, oh my God, we got onto this because I was talking about trying to figure out a way to trans to 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 do a transition and then we just divert it anyways <laughs> and then we made it worse <laughs> i was like we just went we just kept going we didn't even bring it back or remembered and then i was like oh yeah that's right we were supposed to be going somewhere oh, else it's so funny <laughs> oh my god this, this is why i end up with three hour interviews <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love it so what i was trying to say is i'm not great at transition so i'm just gonna like transition by saying I'm transitioning. So I want to get into what I was talking about earlier with the different ideologies around different things. That was a weird way of saying that, but we'll go with it. (laughs) So I feel like now would be a great time to sort of insert your disclaimer that you would like, and then I can ask you the question. Sure. So you're talking about moving on to sort of the blog post I wrote for Sound Girls a while ago about sound guys and how bias is transmitted through language implicitly. Yeah, I just want to put it out there that um, I wrote this blog because I thought it was important and because it really sucks to be, well, that is, I know what it feels like to be the uh, only person in the room that looks like me. And I think there are 
ways we accidentally per pervade, I think is the word I'm looking for. There are ways we accidentally like, or perpetuate, there are ways we accidentally perpetuate like some biases um, and it's accidental, but we need to catch it because it's accidentally alienating people. But with that said, I'm not like a studied expert on diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm just trying to have the conversation. I also want to put it out there that, you know, I'm super into holding people up and I'm sure we're all heard. But with that said, you know, I also deserve as much education um, as anyone else. And like, I'm a cisgendered, like white woman. So, you know, I'm not even like, like a, I'm a minority because of my gender, but like there, there are people out there who I acknowledge struggle a lot more. So I wrote this blog in an attempt to sort of like start to speak up for people that might still be in a hard position, but I don't claim to be an expert on anyone's personal experiences. So that's my disclaimer. Okay. That's a great disclaimer. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> so with all that being said, in reading your blog post, there were a couple of things that I thought of while reading it. And some of them might sound devil's advocate Some of them aren't meant to be. They're just ideas that I had and that I've heard other people express. So that's where this is coming from. It's either ideas that I've had because I've heard other people talk about things in a certain way or whatever. So with that being said, I don't even know why I felt the need to say that. <laughs> in the spirit um, of disclaimers. In the spirit of disclaimers. <laughs> I'm not even normally a disclaimer person, which is really funny that I just felt the need to do that. So, okay. In the blog post specifically, you kind of you <laughs> use this analogy or it's reference that you use an analogy where you're like, okay, so if you use the terminology, uh, girls are just as good as boys in math, then that implies that boys being good at math is the standard and that girls have to live up to that standard that was set by the boys. Okay. And so... In that, it makes me wonder, do you think that having these sort of phraseologies where you compare people directly or like men are sort of the standard and women are sort of, you know, living up to the standard of men in the world of audio, do you think there's a sort of similar correlation between that and sort of the ideology around when people say things like, I don't see color? Yeah, that's a super interesting connection. Yeah, I'm going to try to think out loud a little bit with that. So the like sentence that is the example that you just said that's in the blog is comparative because you're saying, oh, of course, he's good at math. He's a boy. You're as good as he is. And it's like, wait, wait, wait. So you're saying all boys are good at math, but it, this girl is an exception to the rule. So it's setting up like a stereotype that way. And then I don't see color is like kind of ignoring. Yeah it's kind of ignoring someone's identity and kind of like who they are to say the other way of looking at it that I've heard is when you say, I don't see color, you're saying you're still in a way saying white is the default. So you expect people to show up as white if you don't see color. Yeah. I can see how the two are tied together because you're saying it's a, frankly, a sad attempt at equality and making someone feel like they belong because you're still setting you're setting a how am I trying to put this you're sort of setting some up a false standard like boys are not necessarily better than girls at math and so 
like that's inaccurate. And if you say you don't see color, you're not seeing someone for who they are and what they're bringing to the table and their life experiences. Yeah. So, oh God, that's just so interesting. That's such a good point. Because it's sort of ignoring. Yeah, it's an unhelpful. What did I say before? I should have wrapped it up there. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But yeah, it's... Is it a helpful analogy? Yeah, it's it's an incorrect way to create a sense of equality is what I'm getting at because you're still saying that boys are better than girls at math through by it being a comparative statement. And you're saying you don't see color. So you're, you're refusing to see someone for who they are, you know? So yeah. Yeah. I can see how those relate. That's super interesting. Shoot. I'm sorry. I, I should have like winged us into that a little smoother. I'm sorry. I just no. You're good. It was like the first question that I wrote down. No, that was really good. That was really good. For me, it's something that I've heard a lot over the years. I remember hearing it when I was like a little kid. And my experience has always been primarily white people who have said this. I've never heard it said from other people, other races of people. I guess is a better sentence for that. And so. I remember when I was a kid, I heard it. I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But then I was also like, so what are people clear? Like, like are they all just clear people <laughs> walking over? Like that. I was like, oh, that makes sense at first. But then my little kid brain was like, hold the phone. Are everybody invisible? Because if that's the case, I'm here for being invisible. Like in the sense of like being a kid and what we think being invisible means, right? Not the superpower for life. <laughs> yeah, it was a superpower to be invisible, right? Not so good. actually being invisible because, you know, that would suck. But I remember hearing that. And then I heard it again when I got older and I was in the world of audio and I was working and I had a, a disagreement with somebody and they told me that they don't see color. And I remember like being like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, like, and it doesn't make sense to me because I'm very obviously a black person, Right. And if we don't acknowledge that we are all different, then we can't celebrate the ways in which our uniqueness can be good. And so, I don't know, for me, I always kind of found that phrasing to be really interesting and how people are open to talking about how, you know, sexism in the workplace isn't okay but nobody really talks about the ideology behind what it means to say you don't see color or to try to ignore what seeing somebody's race means, even if you view race only as a social construct or, you know, however people are, you know, arguing those points. But it still matters. Even if it is a social construct, it's still something that matters and it's still something that we're all experiencing as part of our existence in the world right now. Yeah, I, I just think it's, we got to meet people where they are and like everyone brings interesting like thoughts to the table based off of their life experiences and gender is a part of that. Like race is a part of that. Gender identity is a part of that. Culture is a part of that. And like, why not? And also you're just like kind of just shrugging off responsibility for for your own biases when you say you don't see color because I feel like the people that say that like me personally, I feel like the people that say that are people that don't want to check their own biases. So they say they don't have any. You know what I mean? And to give you some hope, I do feel like there are people that are like there are companies that are starting to address like the race issue and how saying things like I don't see color is incorrect. 
we do that a lot at my job, actually. There's a lot of conversation right now around like, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion, which is really, really good. So, yeah, I hope more companies are doing that, too. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't have non hope for the world. I just think that like (laughs) that a lot of stuff is just uh, it's new. And that we're in a place now that we didn't used to be in where we can have those kind of conversations and that looks different over time. That's really what I think of it as. And also just like I told you earlier, I, I have a lot of thought experiments. And so they exist in my head before yeah, yeah. they ever come out into the world. Sometimes. But I guess what I wonder, though, is the intent behind people saying I don't see color. Yes, it's probably a way for them not to check their own biases. But what is a way to, like, if you're trying to be aware of your bias, mm-hmm. what do you think is a good way to acknowledge that and have, like, a way of expressing that? Because I feel like a lot of times people don't always have a way to express what they're trying to say that's effective. That's kind of a hard one to answer because I feel like it's so situational. So, like, my first question is, why is this person saying that? Like, are they saying, is someone coming to them and saying, hey, this co-worker isn't being treated right because so-and-so has a race problem and then they say I don't see color if it were that it's just got to be a conversation you know it's I don't have a black and white way of saying here's how you deal with someone's bias but I feel like it's up to the people that are witnessing it to say that's not okay like no I think you do see color and let's have a productive conversation about it let's solve some problems let's let's learn from each other and it has to be phrased in like, this wasn't even a good script that I just gave just now, but um, it has to be phrased in a way that's kind of like not accusatory because people get defensive and it has to be in a way that's like kind of productive. But yeah, I feel like the whole phrase of I don't see color is shutting down further conversation. So if someone says that, I suggest the people there kind of push a little harder and uh, try to unpack it more and say, no, I think here's what I'm feeling. We need to keep talking about this. And it might mean, you know, having a really long conversation and dragging it out and bringing other people on to sort of educate this person. Yeah. Sorry. I don't have a good answer for it. I don't know what someone would say instead. Cause I do think it's all situational. It's like, I think we just have to educate each other on our biases. And like when we hear someone say something like that, say, hold on, that's not actually okay, but let's take this as a teaching moment and talk about it. Yeah. I don't know if there's right answers to any of these things. They're all just sort of mm-hmm. external thought experiments that are currently happening with you. Yeah. Chin scratchers. <laughs> yeah. They're just like, <laughs> let's think about that for a second. Also, I I know that that's something that's very, I don't want to say commonplace, but I think that usually when I hear the phrase, I don't see color. It's usually directly related to talking about black people, Mm -hmm. but it's not directly related to talking about other races of people. Mm. So I've worked in a space before where one of my bosses came to me and we were having a conversation about something that had happened. And they said to me that they don't see color, but it was specifically in regards to being black. But when other people being Hispanic or Asian, then that sort of phraseology was not applied. It was only specific to me and my race. And that's something that I also think is interesting is that there's sort of this mindset when it specifically relates to Black people only. 
at least from what I've seen. Now, could it exist with other people? I don't know. You know, I don't live other people's lives, but <laughs> I don't know. I just, it was a thought. It was something that I noticed. I think you're right, though. And also, I'm so sorry that happened to you. But I, I do think you're right. And it is often implied towards Black people. And I don't have a good answer for why that is other than my theory, which is I feel like a lot of people maybe or I feel like in general, this country is has treated Black people really poorly, like for hundreds of years. And we are now sort of confronting that. And there's lots of people that are very defensive about it. And also, they don't want to look bad by acknowledging that anyone's Black or something like that. I don't know. They don't want to look bad. So they just say, I don't see color. And they, they think it helps, but it, it doesn't because you're still squashing kind of who someone is. Yeah, so that's the only thing I could think of is sort of like the tension, the racial tension that's in the country right now is is, is why that's said. You know, people don't want to look bad or get a lawsuit is the big thing now is, oh, well, you know, I don't want to get sent to HR. And it's like, yeah, but what you're saying is also not, <laughs> not cool, man. You know, it kind of reminds me of when you hear people say things like, oh, I can't be racist, I have a Black friend. Or I don't have an issue with gay people because my best friend's gay. Or, you know, insert whatever situational thing where there's like one person or, you know, a handful of people that they know. And that's why they can't be racist, right? That's why they, they can say or do certain things. It leads me to this thought of when situations like that happen and people say those sort of terminology. It makes me think of something that you said oh my gosh I should pull it up okay hold on a second I did not write this down I actually have it pulled up too because I wrote it a year ago so yeah you did okay so I didn't write this down but it makes me think about it and I want to make sure I get it right because <laughs> I don't want to just shoot off the hip <laughs> No, totally. Like, you said I'm... this thing and be like, that's not exactly what happened. Okay, so that's what, okay, problematic language. That's the paragraph that I'm under. Okay. So you were talking about how people call the ends of cables male and female. Like, I know that there's technical terminology for what those are actually called. Like, you have your jacks and you have your plugs. That's obvious. But why is using the terms male and female problematic and... Is there like a situation that has arisen where people are honestly like offended or feel some type of way about it? Because I don't think I've ever heard of anybody being upset or feeling some type of way about the terminology of the ends of cables being called male and female. Gotcha. I think that's very interesting because it isn't something that's talked about that much because it's been so ingrained in our profession for so long. And I only start thinking about it when there was a petition going around like a few years ago trying to get rid of those because of gender inclusivity issues. And like, to be honest, like, I'm a little bit hypocritical because I haven't adapted different terminology into my own speak yet, purely because we haven't agreed on anything as like an industry. And I haven't sat with like, well, I haven't been on a crew in a very long time outside of like, you know, my coworkers at work and we're not running cable. All of our connections are like virtual. So I've been like sat with the crew and said, hey, what are we going to call XLRNs now, you know? So 
I would probably hypocritically still call cable ends male and female until we all agree on something that works and is the new industry standard. But it's problematic, I think, for a couple of reasons. One, to be super crass for a second, it does refer to genitalia and there's no place for that in the workplace except with jokes in the right company that won't get offended and doesn't hurt anyone. <laughs> but yeah, not not for cable ends, not for the things we're actually doing our jobs with. And and also like I'm I am of the mindset that it can alienate people because we're in this talk about gender and what gender sort of like the differences between gender identity and sex as in your biological sex and all that. And I'm kind of, and I might be wrong in like my theory, but my theory is that calling cables male and female and stuff like that can can alienate like our non-binary or trans friends who might want to get in the industry. And I think like, oh my God, like how many, how many people have we scared off just by this everyday terminology? It's it's just something I wonder. And I'm like, why why even use it? Like and, and again, it's in the workplace. It's like, why are we using terms that refer to like yeah, stuff between our legs to describe tools of the job? You know what I mean? It's a little in any other profession it would be unprofessional, right? Those are my theories. Right. We're currently in a space, right, where a lot of people are expressing that they are offended by things that are very unique to a very small population of people. And there's sort of this, some would say that there's sort of this push to kind of force others into complying with something that doesn't necessarily affect most of the population. Like, for example, in a video that I watched recently, somebody was, they were talking about trans people and how most people in America are probably not going to uh, interact with somebody who is trans just because of the, statistically speaking, the number of people in the world, I mean, in the country of America compared to the number of trans people that there are in the country probability speaking wise, you're less likely to run into somebody, right? Who is trans. I'm wondering if, is it really a thing that people are actually like offended by? Or is it, I mean, maybe not really offended. Is the idea to be proactive or is the idea to be reactive in having the sort of conversations around changing terminology because then you could technically get into sort of this idea of policing words and policing terminology and I think we could all agree that there's a danger in policing words all the time like obviously some words do need policing right that's why you're not allowed to go into a theater and yell fire right like there's obviously like some amount of policing that needs to exist but how far is too far and are we still within the realm of reasonable reasonability (laughs) yeah 
Is that a real word? (laughs) I was like, wait, reasonability? I don't know why I went with that one, but just (laughs) the end of a long day. It's all good. I was trying to make, I hope that makes sense. Yeah. It's not an yeah. idea that I had thought of before, so I don't really have the words put together for. No, but it's an interesting point. It, it was sort of that somewhere that my brain was going while you were talking. Mm. Yeah, because we are at this point where people don't want to change the way they talk, right? But here's the thing, even if the trans community and non-binary community, I guess the queer community is the umbrella term, even if they're a small percentage of the population okay let's look at the let's look at the topic of this podcast minorities in audio i represent a bigger minority in audio but still a minority in audio and i mean again i'm coming from the place of in the past if i like i've been in situations where i felt like my expertise wasn't taken as seriously as the majority of the profession right and there are people who've had those experiences and have gotten chased out And it's like, there's a difference between policing words and words being so bad that they actually create a bad work environment. It is a fine line. I think the only way to figure it out is through like a lot of conversations and a lot of openness. Yeah, maybe male and female cables are not a problem. And I just totally made that up in my blog. But, you know, it's something that I worry about because sure, there's a minority out there that might feel alienated by this terminology okay but if they're such a small minority why should we care we are still missing out on that talent right so if a couple of trans people or non-binary people or whatever have been driven away by by terminology such as this we're missing out on on some really cool people that we could have in the industry people that could be innovative people that can really People that we can work with, people that can have new ideas, people that can support talent. And I think that's a I think that's a shame. And I'm less worried about policing words. There are things that are offensive to say to people. So why don't we why don't we update that for the times? You know, there there are words that have been that have been very problematic for like decades now and we've stopped saying them. So why don't we continue to adapt our language for the people that are now finally allowed to live their truth? They couldn't for a long time. So why don't we make a work environment for them? Um, even if they're only like 2% of the people that end up working in audio. That's still like 2% more people that can do some cool things with us, you know? So that's that's my hot take. <laughs> and that's the most succinct thing I've said during this whole interview. <laughs> and that was the most unsuccinct question that I've asked this whole interview. <laughs> Meeting like, in the middle like, here. I mean, that was such a trash question. I was like, oh, no, I got what you're saying, though. Part. This is a hard conversation. This is hard stuff to talk about. And it's like, I think part of the reason why it's so hard is no one wants to look like a jerk, right? And you are not, I I, I personally don't think you're looking like a devil's advocate or anything right now. But they are questions to ask because there are going to be people that read that kind of stuff and respond and say, how dare you censor me? Like, First Amendment, blah, blah, blah. And also, I'm not a jerk by not seeing color. You know what I mean? So it's like people are going to ask those questions and it's good that we try to come up with solutions or responses. Put it out there and make your own decisions and then go from there. That's what a thing. Yeah. So the next place that my brain went. (laughs) Go for it. Was if we are going to be conscious about changing these sort of words and sort of adjusting our terms and our kind of finding that new balance then does that 
then need to also extend to should we in the like the collectively not like just like the you and me way be more conscious i guess about the types of jobs that we take and the content and entertainment that we are working on slash a part of because if the ideas that we want to make changes to be more whatever we want to be more of then is music that we do shows for artists whose music is in direct conflict with those sort of ideals and principles should there be some sort of line drawn for those as well i mean the example that comes to mind in my head is female rappers or rap music in general if we're going to be honest about it i mean hip-hop and and rap in general especially the more popular music tends to be very sexist and very offensive in terms of terminology in terms of words and calls and the way that they reference women the way that they reference you know um drug usage or you know just different things like there's a lot of negative things that people talk about in the the rap music right and so if we're trying to be more productive and making a positive change, then would that extend to that as well? Like to the content and the jobs we take? Yeah. That's a good question. And I think that's, I personally think that's like on an individual basis. And I think to an extent we all apply for and take jobs that sort of align with our values. Like if you love rap music and you live by those ideologies, then sure, go work in it. It's easy enough for me to say like, oh, content makers, go make or work on making things that are less sexist or racist or anything. But, you know, that's I don't come from that scene. I can't really advocate for go make different things, you know. But what I can say is, yeah, I think if you're behind the scenes, like you're, we're innately like attracted to things that line up with our ideals. and. Uh, Here's the thing. Content won't stop being made because behind the scenes folk don't want to work in it, in my opinion. You know, what people will complain about is like the environment. And if the environment is bad, then they'll speak up out about that. But yeah, it's it's a hard question because it's I think the content change will come with time. I hope it does. But like at the end of the day, we all got to pay our bills, too. But and take the jobs we can. But I also like to think if, if anyone's working on a job that like they don't agree with, like it's in terms of the content being made, they're probably not going to be happy there anyway. So they're probably going to go elsewhere. So I truly think it's just we're innately attracted to content and jobs that align with our our personal values. That's interesting. Did that answer your question? I <laughs> I don't really know. Uh but not because not because of anything in particular. I think that question is just a it's a very open question. I think mm. yeah. That if you look at Twitter, right? And Twitter is is a cesspool of crazy. So we're going to take this with like a grain of salt, okay? But just okay. let's just go with it, okay? For the time being. If you <laughs> I mean it's true. Twitter's insane. Yeah. Yeah, but if yeah. you you look at like a lot of things that get that they, that get tweeted out about you know just different 
issues that people are, are talking about, whether it's okay, for I'm, I'm going to use a specific example instead of being super generic. I watched this video. I'm, I'm, I really like watching videos that stem from different people's perspectives. I don't ever really like watching one specific perspective of videos. So I've recently dived into this, this guy's YouTube channel and he has a lot of crazy stuff that he says. Crazy, not like necessarily bad, but just crazy in terms of non-conventional. There are things that people might not necessarily agree with. Okay. And I found him because of Twitter. That's where this came from. Okay. (laughs) Found him because of Twitter. Love it. Ended up on his YouTube channel. And he was reacting to these sort of these TikToks where they were talking about being furries and the pronouns that go along with being furries and in the sort of conversation around that he was like how far are these sort of ideas going to go before they are too far you know what I mean like at what point are we going to start saying to people this is you know mental illness or this is playing a role and, you know, that, that people are just sort of creating these sort of false personas because they feel like this is what's going to get them attention on the Internet. Right. I feel like there are people already like claiming that about a lot of like trans individuals and whatnot. Like, I think there are already people saying, oh, it's a mental illness. And it's it's not. It's their identity. And it's coming up now because people are finally like allowed to speak their truth. So I, I think that's already happening. How far is too far for people making up pronouns for themselves? Look, I just want people. It's like a name, right? Like, <laughs> it's just like a name. Like, call yourself what you want. And like, I'll do the same. Like, Yeah, no, I mean, that was his question. That's not my, that's not my yeah. question. How far no, is too I'm, far with the pronouns is that. not my point. But my I'm point is. i having a reaction my... to this guy. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're fine. It's okay. At first, when I was like, what in the world is this? But then I was like, okay. Let's take a second. Let's listen. Let's ingest and then make an opinion based off of that. That's my approach. I'm not saying that anybody should go out and watch this guy. It's not for everybody. It's just the way that my brain works. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so my point is, is that in this person's mind, there is an extent of which people have gone, quote unquote, too far. Right. And I, I guess my question is to bring this back to what we we're talking about with audio is how is there an ability to make a distinction between what too far is? Like I'm all for, you know, trying to make people feel invited, inclusive. I'm all about sharing knowledge. Obviously I was podcast. I wouldn't have that if I wasn't about (laughs) that, you know, and I obviously want to like highlight minorities and I want people to, to be able to grow and, and all those different things. And so I'm not coming from that sort of position, but I do wonder like, cause I know for me that there's a point in my mind where striving for diversity ends because we've we've reached that point where we are diverse enough and we are inclusive enough and we are as a society that line exists in my head will we reach out in my lifetime i don't know but the point is is that i know that there is a, a end point yeah do you think that there's an end point to trying to transform the audio world in terms of being able to be more inclusive and more diverse, but without it just turning into like 
a clutter bucket of tomfoolery. You know what I mean? Where it's just like nobody <laughs> yeah. can say nothing about nothing. We're all just silent, working in silence. If we're not talking about putting this stack together, we're not talking about anything. You know what I mean? Like, is there a point where do you think that that point exists, I guess? Or if it does, what does that look like to you? Yeah. I think right now it's like people are confused because they're worried about like going to HR because they said something that now isn't okay. When really what's been happening is sort of the wrong attitudes and words have been used for years. And it's just that people are just saying, are just now standing up and saying, now, hold on. No, this is actually offensive. Like you're making me feel alienated. That That's not okay. I'm here to work. Why are you, why aren't you treating me the same as that guy over there? So DEI initiatives are all about giving people a chance who haven't had the chance because so many people have been hiring people that look like themselves, if that makes sense. So it isn't even just about about getting fluffy or anything like that, right? It isn't about like everything being puppy dogs and, and rainbows. I think it's about treating people, giving people equal chances because that's why we don't have as much diversity and equity and inclusion people haven't been given the same tools to succeed. Yeah, I just feel like there's been a lot of situations where someone will get a job because they just don't want to teach someone who doesn't, who represents something else. And there's a bias. I think there's, there can be a lot of biases in, in the hiring process, for sure. And I think people tend to try to bring people on that, like, that stereotype or look like them and we need to give people who can broaden our life experience chance and I don't think it could get too fluffy or uh what did you call it like a like a tomfoolery (laughs) water bucket of tomfoolery (laughs) yeah that's like such a good old-fashioned word no because we've still got stuff to do like we still got a job to do I think nobody got time for you know just letting people in for the sake of letting people in no I want to hire or I want to see more people hire like good people who are good at their jobs. And we're checking our biases and saying to ourselves, oh, this person can do the job because of X, Y, and Z. We're not looking at a resume and saying, oh, that has a female name. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to accommodate anything. I don't want to hire a woman or something like that. I mean, that's like only one example, but I, I think, I don't know if there is an end point, I think it's something we should always strive for. And I think it's a problem if like a group of people clearly all come from the same background. I think we do tend to work with our friends. And that's important because you should like the people you work with. But like, I think it's important to ask who else can I bring on? Like, who would be really interesting? And I think a lot of us have different circles throughout our lives. And if all of your circles look the same, that's a problem. Like your point, your worldview at that point isn't very diverse. Yeah. No, I don't think there's really an end point. I think we're always going to be like, oh, like our our group looks very looks very white and female. Like, OK, the next person we hire, we need to consider we need to bring on more candidates, at least. And that's part of it, too. Right. It's it's not even just hiring people. It's getting more candidates in like that's a start. I'm not saying hire people because of like their gender or or race or gender identity. I've been in a position before where I was hired and then told, and this was like when I was freelance, 
I was hired and told, oh, you know, yeah, you know, we um, you're recommended to us because we were looking for diversity. You know, our board asked us to like bring on more diverse people. And then they didn't say they didn't say anything about my qualifications. And I'm like, oh, OK, so why are you interested in me, though? There's other female sound designers out there. And that feels really bad. So that's the wrong way of doing. Well, it's not wholly a wrong way. It's an incorrect way of doing inclusion. Like you need to look at other things, not just numbers. Yeah, no, I don't think there's an end goal. I think we're always going to be looking at our group and being like, what does it look like right now? Okay, how can I make it better? And I think that's kind of fun. Like that's another form of professional development. You know, how can we make our group better with the people that we have on on this project or whatever? I wonder how diversity in a place like I mean, you and I both live in very metropolitan areas, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I lived in Austin. I live in DFW, very metropolitan areas in Texas. You lived in L. You live in LA. I was like, you lived. It's like you've left. <laughs> You're still there. Have lived. <laughs> Have lived in in the California, <laughs> and and we live in very. Uh, metropolitan areas. And by definition, when you typically live in a metropolitan area, you're going to have a broader group of different people who look different, whose ideals are different. You're going to have more diversity in the metropolitan areas. So I wonder how diversity would look for John Smith in, you know, South Dakota, you know, who's like, obviously South Dakota's a bit extreme to use because I think South Dakota's population is really small, but you know, your average person from some place where there's not a ton of diverse people in general, and it is primarily one people. Like I mean, like if I go to the country, when I refer to the country, the area that I know of is primarily white people who do cattle ranching or, you know, who live on farms and stuff like that. Right. So diversity for them would like one Hispanic person showing up is like diversity. You know what I mean? Like one Asian person showing up is like, oh my gosh. So I I just, I wonder like how we could go about establishing realistic standards for what diversity actually means instead of just sort of having a blanket statement of we need to do diversity and we need to have inclusion but what does that really look like in terms of an actual realistic thing yeah that's super interesting and that's another like I guess privilege that I can admit to having is when you live in a metropolitan area yeah you are exposed to like a a melting pot and being able to sort of like take that in that's another form of privilege because that's kind of like education right life education. So that's super interesting. I I love that point. That's a good point. So I feel like it really depends on your candidates for the job when you're South Dakota. <laughs> um, are, people, are people applying who are of different backgrounds and races and genders and all that? And if they are applying, why aren't they making it to the next stage in the interview process? I think that's what we can look at. And even if they're not hired, like if there were a small percentage of of the interview stage, then maybe that makes sense. But the point is to try to get those people to get those people in, listen to them. And then it's not always going to be a numbers game. 
you know, and I think there are other ways to measure diversity, equity, and inclusion. I would love to see, I think it'd be great if, I don't know who, but if someone could reach out to more rural areas like that and say, I know not a lot of like different types of people are here, but let's talk about living and working with different, or rather let's talk about our biases. I think that's the way to do it is, I mean, I, I, I'm not really proposing anything, just like how can we reach out to predominantly like white and male communities and get them to check their biases. And then also it goes with not just like hiring and jobs, right? Like what happens when you bring up the little girls to run cables at your at your stage at South at the South Dakota Dakota Performing Arts Center or something like that? How like how do you bring up your local community of people that don't look like the people that you're currently working with? Because you could get someone into something really cool. And then so you teach little Susie how to run cable like Susie's dad teach, teaches her how to run cable at the South Dakota Performing Arts Center and then like 15 years later she's the technical director and the first female technical director of that so it's like how do you bring up the people now who are who are kids who are students in your local communities that's I think that's like one way of doing it of, of reaching diversity in really rural parts but then how how do we encourage them to do to do that yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, you know, other than bringing like kind of programs out there. But then is that kind of like a, <laughs> almost like a colonizing type of thing where people from the big city are bringing new ideas into rural communities and sticking our noses in? At what point is it a little too much privilege and we don't realize it? Yeah. I don't know. It's all good questions, but like I would like to see people in like those Yeah, I just think it's about in any community. Sorry, it's about bringing up like the younger people, the students, the the kids, teaching them things that stereotypically wouldn't be their job in terms of gender stereotypes, stuff like that. These these questions, man, my brain just go deep. They are. It is. I I have deep, meaningful conversations all the time, and people are like, "Tangela, I need you to rein it in." We were doing live. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I I think my next thought was tell me tell me if if I'm right or wrong on this, okay? But whenever you think of diversifying and people going out to diversify, do you usually think white people? That's a good question. I actually know some like people that are diversity, equity, and inclusion officers who are Black, and they're the ones sort of educating and saying, here, let's let's have a conversation, everybody, not just like, you know, like, hey, white pe- people, we're going to tell you what it's like to be Black, and you're going to understand our struggle. It's like, no, people are coming together and talking. By white people? Gosh, no, I hope I don't mean that. I definitely think that it's up to people who are like in the majority, who um, people have like people who might be a little more biased or prejudiced might trust a little more. I think it's up for us to stick for our like sort of uh, marginalized friends, if that makes sense. But it's very interesting to think of how do you balance that without, because like what if someone was being mean to you and you didn't want me to stick up for you? Like I think that's important to have a dialogue with your with your allies to say, no, I got this. Or dude, just leave that guy alone. He's being it's not worth it you know so no I hope I don't mean white people just educating but it it does seem like a very like I think of Peggy Hill from 
oh, what's that show? King of the Hill? Yeah. Like, she kind of has that. <laughs> I hope we're not. I don't. <laughs> no, I'm, like, not I, I... That, I'm not saying that you think that they should. My question is, what is the mental image? Like, if you had to imagine people going out, like, if you're like, people are going out. Like, what is the race of the people who go out? I ask this because people tend to associate a specific race and type of person to the people that they think should be doing certain things, right? And so we all have a default mental image that we have, right? Due to social conditionings and blah, blah, blah. That's the biases that we're trying to check. Right, exactly. So I know that for me, sometimes I have to check myself because in my mind, when people say, oh, we got to go out and diversify groups, it's usually, in my mind, it's white people going out telling other people that they need to become be a part of this thing because they need more diversity, wow. right? Yeah. Like that's, a, that's the image that I sometimes yeah. have when I think about certain things that I have to be like, hmm. But like, why though? Right. And I have to work through those sort of things and and balance that out. Right. But so my question is, what is that mental image in your mind? I don't know what that mental image. Thought experiment for all the people. (laughs) Think about it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. What are what are you thinking right now? Yeah. And I often think that like the people that say, oh, we got to diversify our workplace are like well-meaning white people. And it's not wrong. but what you're getting at is interesting, which is at what point are we burdening minorities? And at what point is diversity just a number? I I guess that's where the equity and inclusion comes in, right? Because you've got to give everyone diversity doesn't matter if you don't have equity and inclusion because people have to be given the same tools for the job. Well, not even the same tools for the job. They have to be uplifted in the way that benefits them at work. And that's like the meme of equity that we saw on the internet where there are different like heights of people and they're all standing on different boxes so they can see over the fence. That's what we mean. We talk about equity, giving people the right tools for them so they, they can do the job. So, and then with inclusion, making them feel like they belong, that's like the third, like true, like step, making people feel like they belong and they're invited and their voices are heard because diversity is really just, a number. And in my opinion, you just don't have a good workplace if you don't have the equity and inclusion aspect, like for everybody, you know. But what that looks like for people going out, you know, I think a lot of times in general, it looks like a lot of white people like going out and to other races and saying, come work for us. We need we need a black person or or whatever, which is <laughs> super wrong. And it's it, it relates to the story I said earlier which it's like a lesser extent when I was freelance and told, oh, we're hiring you because like we need more women sound designers. Like telling me that without qualifications is it's a little concerning. It's like your heart's in the right place, but you're not telling me I'm qualified for the job, you know? And same thing with what you're saying. So it's like, how do we, yeah, I don't ever want to burden anybody with, you know, everyone should feel like they're coming to work with me because I want them to work with me, not because of, their race or gender or anything. Yeah. And ideally it's about checking that bias. And you said you were checking your bias before with your example, but I think that's a really interesting perspective because you're coming from a place of people of that are minor, uh, minorities are expected to take on the work of diversifying a, a predominantly white 
place often. And that's kind of unfair. <laughs> I think that's really unfair. And, you know, if you have thoughts too, I'm totally up for hearing them. You know, it's like, how do we create a sense of diversity and make people feel invited without being burdened with doing the work of diversifying? You know, it's a solid question. It's something we should always be aware of. I don't have an answer to that, but it makes me think of the example of wait so <laughs> when the whole black lives matters thing happened right and and that became a, a larger push again because of the whole uh George Floyd situation there were a lot of black people who said i'm not responsible for teaching you mhm what's racist right i'm not responsible for teaching you or educating everyone on why what they're saying or what they're doing is racist, right? And there was a lot of people who said that. Whether you agree with that statement or not is not the point. But the point is, is that... I mean, I think they're right. I mean, that's, I think that's like an individual person by person basis, because some people feel like it's okay for them to educate. Some people are of the heart of education. Some people are like, yo, I'm gonna need you to go find somebody else to tell you or go read a book or go do whatever that you need to do, right? And so I would never tell anybody how they should or shouldn't feel in any regards. But so that's up to each person. But my point is, is that this question reminds me of that, the sort of diversity and inclusion sort of ideology of, you know, bringing in minorities. It, it's almost like, well, why do we have to make your space I don't know. They draw parallels. I'm not exactly sure exactly what those parallels are, but in my mind, there's a connection and I can, I can see how they are connected, but I don't have necessarily the words for describing what that connection looks like or what the flip side to that coin would look like. Because I just know that in terms of racism, that was the terminology that was used and people were like, yeah, but I'm not responsible for educating you. I'm not responsible for telling you this. You should learn or know on your own and I wonder if there is a diversity equity inclusion version of that same phrase or terminal or um, ideology that's what I was looking for the same sort of ideology that's super interesting yeah I was definitely thinking of that phrase when you were asking it we're asking that question yeah that's very hard and I feel like if you're gonna I so I'll go back to like my basics which is it's part of who you bring on. Like, who are you interviewing? Not even who you hire. Like, just checking your biases throughout the interview process and making sure your interview candidates are diverse. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, and if you hired, like, a white man, despite, you know, having a very diverse candidate pool, at least you tried. No, that's not what I'm saying, because at that point, you're still, like, that can also still perpetuate the problem. What I am saying is, yeah, you've got to have a large pool to begin with and keep checking your biases after someone's hired as well. And we've got to have the space to speak up and stand up for ourselves without fighting too hard. Because if Joe Schmo can say, I have a problem with the way you talked to me, you should also be able to say, I have a problem with the way you talked to me in the same way. It's about creating that sense of equality at work because otherwise I'm just going out there and saying, I want to bring you on because we need more diverse people. That's insulting because you're not speaking to someone's qualifications. You're seeing them at face value, which has been the problem. 
so yeah I think that's the problem with going out there and just saying come work for me because we need more minorities did that answer your question <laughs> no <laughs> you gotta stop taking it that way it's not to me I don't ask questions with the intentionality that I get like a direct answer exactly I mean if there is a direct answer, it's fine. But in these sort of conversations, specifically on stuff like this, where it's like we're both trying to figure it out and we're both having to think through it, there's not really necessarily a end result answer to the question. It's more just, are we thinking about it? And if we have an answer, then cool. But if we don't have an answer, why don't we have an answer? And why haven't we thought about it? And then... Right. Again, thought experiments, okay. man. It's the existence of my life, right? <laughs> no, for sure. No, it's That's good to poke holes and ask questions and be like, well, what's the right way to make people feel welcome in the workplace? Uh, yeah, so that, that's really all it is for me. I, I, I love it. It's good. I felt like when I was reading the stuff that you had written and sort of the things that you talk about on Instagram, like like headphones. Headphones selfies. Uh, headphones, what is it? Headphones Mondays. And I was just like, wait, what? And you start talking about all this other stuff. And I'm like, that had nothing to do with headphones though. And it was just like this whole thing. And it was like this whole experience. And I was just like, what is happening? I'm here for it, but let's go for it. <laughs> and so like, I, I have like a different set of questions in case you weren't okay with like having this conversation. And so I was like, all right, I'm gonna be double prepared just in case. And so That's I had like funny. a whole other sh sheet of papers if you were like, we're not doing this. Because I know some people, they don't feel comfortable talking live right. about yeah. it. Yeah. And they much rather like have time to sit and write out what they're trying to say so that way they can be more cohesive and they can really express what they're trying to say versus I mean having this open conversation is it's a little bit harder. It's very hard. It's a little bit more difficult to try to have that sort of train of thought and then trying to also say it out loud and, and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, so there's grace and leeway in all of this, I promise. Oh good. It's hard conversations, but it's important for everyone to be having them, you know. So, yeah, good on you for asking all the hard stuff. Yeah, I I hope that you were okay with this. I hope this wasn't like yeah. too far, like yeah. like out no. of like, no, like oh my god for you. <laughs> no, not at all. It's um, it's challenging, but I'm up for a good challenge. And you know, I just I want to, you know, provide a place for people to talk about how to create a better world and feel belong, belonged, belonged, <laughs> like they belong. <laughs> they have a place in this world, okay? They, they do, yeah. Place. And like, you know, hopefully I answered stuff in a way that sort of made sense or made us all think. And yeah, I'm I'm always up for being educated. We just talked about people not needing to educate others. But, you know, there's there's ways to do it without, or there are questions that can be asked without. I think overburdening others too much as far as respecting boundaries, right? Like being like, okay, I don't have to ask you that. It's okay. That's a lot for you. You know, Yeah, that's part of, that's part of this. I think. I also think it's when you ask people, I don't think it's up for, okay. I think that there, are, there is a time and a place for everything. And sometimes it is neither the time nor the place or the person. <laughs> and so yes. that to yes. me is really what it boils down to. It's you got to find the right people to ask. You got to find the right time to ask them. And I think you can ask questions without actually asking somebody specifically. I think there's ways to be educated without specifically asking somebody a question. For example, if you have a thought and you're like, I wonder, 
but let's say you listen to a podcast that talks about diversity and inclusion or whatever, right? Or that's like their topic or they talk about different things. I think that those people can sometimes answer those questions without you physically having to ask them the question. I think sometimes that people rely on being able to do a face-to-face conversation so often that they forget about the fact that sometimes people exist in a space to have you ask them questions and they do that in a different way. Sometimes that's through YouTube videos. Sometimes that's through Q and A's through conferences or through, you know, content creators through different means or different organizations. They'll have a list of questions that people typically ask about, you know, different initiatives that they're trying to go through. Right. And so there's ways to ask questions without physically having to ask somebody a specific question. It's my point. So I mean, body language too. And like how people demonstrate if someone's acting a certain way, how the offending person reacts to that. You know, it's what isn't said to that we can learn from. Yeah. I think that's also important, but like, that's a whole other, it took me years to develop any kind of like social cue type skills. So I'm very sympathetic that we're not all there. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, social cues are, di- they're a difficult thing to learn. I was, I was trash at them as a kid. I said what was on my mind way more than I probably should and uh, <laughs> did not always go over it's too great. It's definitely struggled. Uh- <laughs> Only one way to learn. It's by messing up sometimes. Yeah, that's exactly. not the only way to learn, but the big way to learn, only way to learn social cues. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So with all that being said, uh, do you have the any deep stuff. last thoughts or anything that you want to say or leave the audience with in terms of advice or whatever? It's really up to you what you want to say at this point, whether it's on yeah. the topics we've already talked about or if you want to just give out a piece of advice or whatever. Yeah. Huh. I always feel like I have like opinions on how people should operate in the audio industry. Um, but don't we all, right? I would just say like, um, to add on to like work attitudes and whatnot. And we can just like sort of bookend this with earlier you and I were talking about the like sort of unhappy and unapproachable like sound guy stereotype. For a while, I didn't act the way that I wish I had and certainly not the way I acted now because it had been demonstrated to me to sort of be very, uh, I guess, abrasive and stuff like that and like talk to coworkers a certain way that wasn't okay. And I would say it's, you know, just treat people the way you want to be treated. If you're, if anyone's in a place right now that they're not being talked to the right way, don't pick up that habit and keep it going. We all tend to kind of take lessons and run with them and say, oh, this is the way I was treated not always the right way to operate so I would say you know give everyone a, I don't want to say just give everyone a chance but yeah more or less yeah the way we talk to each other sometimes in production is not the way we have to talk to each other yeah that's what I've got it's just something that kind of like I thought of because I feel like there can be attitudes in this industry that are very sort of abrasive and very like it can be a very yelly environment but it truly doesn't always have to be sometimes we slip and I would just invite, like, if you're getting if if you're getting treated like that, one, leave that awful place, and two, don't don't adapt to that because it's going to affect you in the long run. 
you as in generally you, whoever I'm giving advice to. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The ambiguous world whom of which I've coined as being my audience, the world, and I call them chickadees. (laughs) I love that. Further advice, follow my Instagram. I post headphone selfies sometimes where I just blabber about my thoughts. (laughs) Yes, and I quite like them. So you should do oh, that. Good. Are you going to keep writing for Sound Girls? Yeah, I'm actually, I'm working on my next post right now. It will post on February 24th or 25th. Yeah. So I'm going to challenge myself to write about like some more technical stuff this year, which I'm really excited for because I'm like queen of like talking about soft skills and processes and workflows. And I'm obviously I'm good at the engineering stuff. Otherwise I wouldn't be where I'm at today. But for some reason, I don't ever write about the technical stuff. So I'm going to do that a little bit this year. And my next one will be somewhat technical. And it's turning out pretty good. So everyone can read that one (laughs) if they want. (laughs) If it's out, by the time I put this out, I'll link it in the show notes. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yay. Thank you. This has been really fun. Yeah. And thank you so much for being on. I, I... Look, see, yeah. I told you, I'm, I managed to capture three hours of people's time unintentionally. <laughs> so good. Oh, my gosh. I know. It flew by. I was surprised. Yeah. I, I try, I've been trying to be better. Maybe someday I'll stop. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for having, Thank you. For having me on. What? That was a terrible sentence. You're having Thank me. Thank you so much <laughs> for being on my show. Yeah. And thanks for having the hard conversations. I'm going to I'm going to be thinking about all that stuff, I hope, for sure, and try not to be a Peggy Hill bringing my wants for diversity to I don't know. Yeah, no. I mean, <laughs> hey, it's always just good to have thoughts, right? And to to mm-hmm. be conscious of what we're doing. Better than people not trying. Yeah. I think putting in effort is is half the battle. I think so often we're just prone to being wrapped up in our own worlds and we end up being lazy as a result and we're just like I don't have Mm -hmm. time for that but sometimes it's necessary to have time or to make the time and to do that yeah so anyways thank you so much for being on I'm gonna let you go (laughs) you have a good night it's like 9 30 where you are right 9 30 10 30 it's 10 30 yeah what time is it in California what like it's 8 30 yeah yeah all right. I'm coming have... from the past. Okay, bye. Where <laughs> we get to. That was the best. Good night. Good night. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Miss Jilly Moon. As always, don't forget to head on over to beatsinabottle.com. That's beats like a music beat. B-E-A-T-S in a bottle.com to sign up for our newsletter so you can stay up to date on all things. Let's talk audio. And well, me. Also, for those of you who don't know, we do have a Discord server, so you should join it. (laughs) Message me wherever you would like. Send me a message through the website or through Instagram, and I'll send you guys the link. Until next time, chickadees.